And open your Bibles, please, to Revelation chapter 6, verse 1. Revelation 6, verse 1. Our series is Strength for Today, Hope for Tomorrow. We'll be looking at the first eight verses. In Revelation chapter 6, verse 1, and this is the Word of God. Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a loud voice like thunder, Come! And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come! And out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth, so that people should slay one another. He was given a great sword. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come! And I looked, and behold, a black horse. This rider had a pair of scales in his hand. I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for denarius, and three quarts of barley for denarius, and do not harm the oil and wine. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come! And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beast of the earth. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful that we have today your word that is true and it's certain. And fathers, we come to understand your word. We ask for your spirit's help. See what you're saying. Father, to us, how it applies to the way we think. Uh, and look at your world and the way that you've called us to live in this world for the sake of your name. So help us, we pray, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our study of Revelation to this point has given us an amazing portrait of the Lord Jesus in chapter 1. And then uh, in the second and third chapters, Jesus' letters to the seven churches that chastise that challenge, that encourage, and that support. And then this breathtaking picture of uh, the worship of God and the Lamb in chapters 4 and 5 as John sees into the throne room of heaven itself. So chapter 6 finds us still in that throne room uh, of the universe. And that's the context for everything that's about to unfold. Indeed, it's a setup for the whole rest of the book. Uh, The Lamb has been found to be the only creature worthy in the universe of uh, opening the scroll that God Almighty is holding in His right hand on the throne. So Jesus, the Lamb, is now poised to open those seven seals that are going to reveal His involvement in human history in the time period that begins with His ascension into heaven up until the second coming of Christ. The devastating wrath of God that's about to come on sinners, and then the love and redemption of God for His people. Now we know that all authority is given to Jesus Christ. He tells us that when giving the Great Commission, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to Him. And so when the Hitlers and the Stalins murder their millions, when the Putins and the Xi's devastate uh, the nations and, and the peoples, is Jesus behind this? When we have earthquakes, famines, floods, wildfires, hurricanes, 
Is Jesus behind those? Let's hold those questions. Before we go to the text, we need to grasp again what's happening here. We want to review John's approach to the text just by way of reminder. There are three things that we've said about it that are still true and will be true as we work our way through the whole book. First, remember, these are pictures, all right, that we see. So we don't want to get too bogged down in the details, because, but because of the nature of what we see, that's, that's not an easy thing to do. We have a lot of questions. Um, our initial look at these four horsemen will bear that out. There's a lot of famous paintings of these four horsemen you can see. Uh, there is that in the back of your notes, the, uh, the wood uh, print uh, cut out by Albert Durer that uh, shows them as well. Second, we said John sees how Jesus has fulfilled the promises, the predictions made in the Old Testament. Now it all points to Jesus. So remember that John has cross-eyed vision. Uh, he looks at God's word and history through the lens of the cross. And he takes and he looks at the prophecies in Isaiah, uh, in Daniel, in Ezekiel, in Zechariah, uh, and God about the Spirit. He can see with greater clarity than they could how they point to Jesus. All right? So, uh, though he borrows from their imagery and their language, he doesn't copy them, rather builds on what they saw and heard that pointed to Jesus, uh, the Lamb of God who is the great conqueror, even as we've just sung. Third, remember why we've said the book is written. It's to give strength for today and hope for tomorrow to the persecuted church as we go about our daily living throughout human history. Let me just say a word about the structure of the text as well. Uh, you might want to look at your sermon notes here, make more sense. Uh, and some of you are going to say, this is an academic exercise, but, uh, well, just bear with me for a moment. If you've read ahead, and I know you have, all right, you've noticed that Revelation now is going to move into a series of seven cycles of judgment. We have two chapters here that describe the judgment that come with these seals, then we have the seven trumpets and their judgment. Then we have the seven symbolic figures and their harvest of judgment. Then come the seven bowls of judgment, followed by the seven messages of judgment about Babylon. And then the last two, the judgment at the, uh, with Jesus on the white horse and the judgment of the great throne. And in each of these, the judgments will become progressively uh, more severe as we move through the book. And again, remember, what we're doing is we're going behind the scene of daily life in this world. We're going to see what's really happening. We're going to see God's hand involved in our world, and it's going to start with these seven seals. See, today we observe outwardly a war in Ukraine. We're hearing about food shortages. The United Nations is seeing a global food problem that's coming. So we hear those things, and we look, and we see Vladimir Putin... Uh, but what we see in Revelation goes, goes behind the headlines. Indeed, it's not just the rest of the story, but it is the real story in Revelation. And finally, let me point out, we need to learn to ask the right questions. The first question that typically comes to our mind when we read a passage like we just read is what? When? When's it going to happen? And in Matthew 24, Mark 13, when Jesus lays out the destruction of Jerusalem, the first question that the apostles ask is what? When's that going to happen? 
You get to Acts and Jesus is given some instructions before his ascension. And they say, when's that going to happen? Um, and quite frankly, as curious as we may be about the when, and it's natural, you know, we're, we, we wonder how we can be prepared and we're very time-focused people. Those, that's, that's the wrong question. You say, well, how do you know it's the wrong question? Because of the answers that Jesus gives every time. All right? See, Jesus gives the answers of what and why, but never when. All right? And so that's what we want to ask is what and why. And so when we read these, and really all the judgments that Revelation gives us, We've got to be careful not to get focused on the when, all right? Rather, as Dennis Johnson puts it, Jesus' answers, rather, will fortify us to endure, embolden us to evangelize, and awaken us to faithful vigilance. Because, you see, we just read in chapter 5 that the Lamb of God has conquered. Now, if the Lamb's conquered, if He's won, why then is there so much misery? Uh, why evil? Why violence? Today's obvious question, why does he send these four horsemen of the apocalypse? What do they have to do with us in our daily living? That's what we want to go to the text and see what it's all about. So first, an overview of these four horsemen. Or we might call it the flow of human history, so we have a better grasp on them. Uh, these four seals, these first four seals, go together. All right? Jesus is not opening one seal and waiting for that to take place, and then sequentially opening the second, waiting for that, the third, and so on. No, 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 no. If somebody gives you presents at a birthday party, what do you do? You open all the gifts at once, right? If you put together a, a, a project from Ikea or a Lego blocks, you notice uh, Ikea and Lego do the same thing. They, they, they send you those, all those tiny little packets with stuff in them. And all that those things were sequential. You know, all that you opened bag one, did all those things. And no, but you're not. You know that. Uh, that. You have to open all the bags, try to sort the things out and make sense of the thing. All right? Well, uh, you, that's what's happening here. Yeah, you have to open one at a time, but these aren't sequential over periods of time. This is all at once. All right? So keep that in mind. Second, if you love horses, this is your chapter, okay? Um, they're, they're mentioned more often than you might think in the Bible. They don't really play that big of a role, except here in Zech and in Zechariah and Revelation. Um, four different horses are, are described in Zechariah 1 and Zechariah 6. Uh, and that's where we get the four horses from here. Zechariah pictures those horses representing God's rule over the earth. Zechariah 1, we're told that, that they go out patrolling the earth. They're like police cars patrolling the neighborhood. They're to, to make sure things are secure, everything is, is well. Uh, and it's, it's not that God has to have angels on horseback to tell him everything's fine in his universe. All right? It's a picture for us to see that God's watching. All right? Um, and, uh, and so what do those four horsemen, do you remember what they said when they came back? They said, behold, all the earth remains quiet. It's a silent night. And so our immediate response might be, well, that's a good thing, right? If it's silent, uh, I mean, don't we like to sing? This is July, we can sing it, silent night, holy night. Uh, all is calm, all is bright. 
But see, that's not what Zechariah wanted to hear. That's not what God's people want to hear in Revelation. They don't want to hear that the nations that have persecuted them are at rest and enjoying themselves, enjoying prosperity. Like the creatures of Narnia stuck in perpetual winter, they want to hear that Aslan's on the move. They want to hear that God's on the move, shaking up the nations. They do not want to sing Silent Night. They want to sing, He will, He will rock you. All right, that's, that's what they want. And, and God in Zechariah responds with a divine promise of judgment on the nations to judge the people. Along with a promise of blessing uh, for God's people by promising to establish Jerusalem once again, to rebuild the temple. We know from the New Testament that stands for the church. In chapter 6, Zechariah sees these powerful horses of these various colors. And this time they're coming out between the two bronze mountains, coming out from the, from the presence of God, from this throne room. Uh, and Zechariah mentions several things to draw our attention. One, he proclaims in the vision that God is the Lord of the whole earth. It's his. And as the powerful ruler, he's the one who's going to hold the people accountable uh, for how we live on this earth. And so this is the answer to chapter 1. The horses represent God's judgment coming all over the face of the earth, the four corners of the world. The day of God's long-awaited judgment of the sin of all the nations is taking place. And there's no escape. It will happen. God will punish sin. He'll punish all sin. He'll complete His judgment. Even as He preserves His people. John as well is going to borrow from Ezekiel. Just flipping your Bibles back to Ezekiel 14. Ezekiel 14. In particular, verse 21. But in Ezekiel 14 is Ezekiel's sermon about the destruction of Jerusalem, which is really unthinkable. It's because of the wicked sins of the people of God. And the judgment is such that God would not spare the city, even if he found people there like Noah and Job and Daniel. Uh, he would spare them, but he would not spare the city. So what judgments will he bring? Verse 21. For thus says the Lord God, how much more when I send upon Jerusalem my four disastrous, act, disastrous acts of judgment, sword, famine, wild beast, and pestilence, to cut off from it man and beast. All right? The exact four plagues that show up here describe what took place in the past. Now they're going to describe what takes place in the present with the destruction brought about by the Roman Empire, as well as all the way through history down until our day. And so these Old Testament pictures help us see what John writes about. Now when we look at these four horsemen, there's general agreement on the last three, what they represent, war, famine, and death. Uh, and again, God's used that throughout history uh, against those who oppose his rule and oppress his church. The thing is, scholars differ over this first horse. Look at verses 1 and 2, the white horse. Now watch when the lamb opened one of the seven seals and heard one of the four living creatures say with a loud voice like thunder, Come! And I looked and behold a white horse. 
And its rider had a bow and a crown was given to him. And he came out conquering and to conquer. Just notice that in each of these cases, these living creatures are involved in what God's doing. And so some think this first horse rider is Jesus himself. The reason they say that is over in Revelation 19, Jesus is described as riding a white horse. Um, But it seems odd if Jesus is the one who opened the seals, that he would open it and then be the first one riding out on a horse. It's just a hard story to put together. Others go the opposite direction. And they suggest, no, this isn't the Christ. This is the Antichrist. Pretty big swing, by the way, uh, you might, might think. Um, and so they see him as the one who sent out to conquer. Others say it's the triumph of the word of God. That this represents God's word going out, the, the spread of the gospel. That has things to commend itself to it. Uh, but I suggest it makes most sense for this horse to just line up in some way with the other horses, not be so distinct from them, and take it for what it says. He sends out one who conquers, who conquers, uh, who brings conquest and war to our world. That's the divine commentary on Nebuchadnezzar last week. He was out conquering. It's the commentary on the, on the Romans sacking Jerusalem in the first century. It's the commentary on World War I and World War II. It's why Putin's invading Ukraine. All wars are part of God's judgment on sinners and ultimately bring about the deliverance of God's people. History is is one people conquering another, one nation conquering another nation, and then being conquered. Throughout history, empires and nations have conquered our 24-7 news cycle brings that reality daily into our homes. Then Jesus opens the second seal, and this one's the red horse. When he opened the second seal, I heard the living creature, the second living creature say, Come. And out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another. And he was given a great reward. All right, Peace. We long for peace. We sing about peace. We hold hands to bring about peace. I don't think it's very effective. We hope for it. But peace is elusive. And now you see why. God takes away peace. It's one of his judgments. And so because of that violence, slain marks our world, not peace. And all we have to do to bear this out is to go back to, to last weekend, to the 4th of July in Highland Park, Illinois. To the weekend that was in Chicago, New York, and Denmark. We have to go to Japan on Friday, Sri Lanka over the weekend. The threats of those cities, the streets of those cities, are not like the streets we've described in Zechariah 8 with children playing and old folks rocking. Then we have the third seal, which is a black horse. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come! And I looked, and behold, a black horse. 
And its rider had a pair of scales in his hand, and I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and wine. Uh, Some sort of famine is probably evidently in view here. Striking down the uh, barley and the wheat harvest brings about a time of high prices, maybe even inflation. And these are exorbitant prices. These prices are 8 to 16 times what the normal price should be. It's like going into the grocery store and your loaf of bread tomorrow is going to be $24. All right? Have that in mind. By the way, even in the first century, Asia Minor depended on wheat from Ukraine to help feed it. Natural disasters and chaos plague our world. And then Jesus opens the fourth seal. When he opened the fourth seal, I saw, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come, and look to behold a pale horse. By the way, that, that word's a pale green. You see, that's a sickly, deathly green. That's the color. And his rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him. And they, collectively, were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine, with pestilence, and by wild beasts of the earth. Same four words we saw in Ezekiel. So this fourth horse, this pale green horse, brings death. And verse 8 is the key that helps us see it comes together. Together the four horses with their judgments deal with a fourth of the earth. They're getting warmed up for the final judgment yet to come. And they kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and wild beasts. Again like Ezekiel. Phil Newton summarizes it very well. Wherever Adam's fall has penetrated, death's sting is reached. There's no escaping its clutches. History, no matter what century, is a story of assaults on life, land, and body. History from John's time until now has been about war, famine, and death. The 20th century gave fullest expression to it as the bloodiest in the history of mankind. You see, what we see here and in our world today is nothing less than God's judgment on human sin. It becomes obvious. Nothing happens beyond His control. Now, though it might be difficult for us to come to grips with, uh, but keep in mind, this is the conquering Lamb who's opened up these seals and bringing out on the earth uh, what the scroll describes. And yes, earthly actors are carrying it out of their own will, their own intentions. But it's God who's at work here. The God of the Bible is the God who controls every aspect, detail of life. He has all the authority, as Jason read in the call to worship this morning. Nothing thwarts his purposes. And friends, Revelation presents this to us more clearly than any other book. Uh, You know... We get, we get excited. We rejoice in chapters 4 and 5 when we see God at the center on His throne and, and there's the Lamb at His right hand. Surrounded by everything that has breath, giving praise to Him. But there's no evil there. So chapter 6 confronts us with a difficult question. Then is God in control of these evil forces? And if the answer is yes, then when destruction comes about, how do we respond? Is it with praise? When by God's good pleasure, destruction comes about, do we still praise Him? 
Because we trust Him. And that's the issue. It's going to be the issue all the way through the book of Revelation. Over and over again, it's going to show us God is sovereign. He is. And part of that sovereignty is to justly punish sin. He's a holy God. He can do no other. Uh, uh, And so do we respond with praise even then? See, here's the thing. As, As Jesus opens the seals, he shows us the course of human history. And we can be assured that he's working all things together for good in a much greater and more complex way than we can see with our own limited knowledge and eyes. He does and will judge sin. Uh, And as we live our lives in this world, we daily see the impact of sin. And we keep in mind the judgment of revelation. Yet we do so differently because we have hope for the future. We know how the book ends. And across the centuries, God's people have suffered by every means described by these four horsemen. But keep in mind, as Paul writes in Romans 8, that our suffering proves light in comparison to the weight of glory yet to come. So Revelation 6 helps us understand that since the Lamb controls history, we do not need to live in terror or fear in this world. When we hear the news from Sri Lanka or the Netherlands today or Ukraine, as we'll see more clearly next week, that doesn't mean that Christians will not face trials and challenges along the way as the, as the world does. We're going to be challenged. But it does mean we do not face the wrath uh, of God while the world around us who rejects Him does. Chapter, chapter 6 teaches us not to look to, to Washington or to London or to Beijing but rather to keep our eyes on Jesus because he's the conquering lamb. So do not let the 24-7 presentations of CNN and Fox discourage us. As we look at the, the, the conquering lamb, remember, he triumphed through suffering and through his death on the cross to take the wrath of God towards our sin upon himself. It's the power of the gospel of Jesus' death and resurrection that saves wretched sinners who deserve the wrath of God. Yes, people like us. And so we have the command, go and make disciples. And we have his promise, I'm with you always. So our heart and our desire must be to truly see the nation's worship. So what about us today? Friends, we need to keep certain truths in front of us. Our confidence must be in the conquering lamb who was slain, being in control. To lightly paraphrase something else Dennis Johnson said, when we see societies crumble and collapse, our response should not be terrified alarm as though our security were bound up with a fragile human network. But anticipation and confidence, the lamb is now on the throne with God's plan for history firmly in hand. No matter what happens, our hope is in God and the promise of a new heaven and a new earth.
God is sovereign, even over suffering. Doesn't mean we throw up our hands in resignation, discouragement as we go through this world. It means we grasp, you know, what Paul wrote to the Philippians. Those words are true that the God who controls all things is, is always and all this at work in our own lives to make us more like his son, Jesus Christ. And then we're always to press on and seek the things of Christ. Believing God's at work, and even now, he's bringing more and more people to himself uh, from all in the nations, even as he's judging those who reject the Lamb. So don't despair. Do not panic. Instead, we need to be people of prayer, praying for his direction to navigate the stormy waters of our world. Because indeed, our God Almighty is sovereign still. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful today that you are on the throne and that you've given all authority to the Lamb, to the conquering Christ. That, Father, you're directing all things to the day when every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of you, the Father. So, Lord, as we look at the real story, Father, uh, we see that you're about the business of judging sin and redeeming your people. So, Father, we're not worthy, but you've redeemed us with the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, there's anybody here that doesn't know for certain uh, that they belong to you. Lord, today, show them your love. Show them the cross. Show them the resurrection. Show them the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ, we would pray. And then, Father, cause us to live with certainty. Father, in a world that's, well, it's a dangerous place, Father. Uh, Father, may we trust you, we pray. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.